Hello and welcome to the Symbol Podcast. My name's Dave Collingwood. I'm an independent symbol maker from Bristol, UK. This is episode 13 and my guest today is Stephen Kerrison, a mastering engineer based in Liverpool. He runs Tall Trees Mastering. Check out the show notes for links to his business as well as his own self-produced music under his own name. We had a long chat about music production and performance and we discussed drums, drummers, cymbals and gear in general. Don't forget the Spotify playlist, just search for The Symbol Podcast, where I'll be adding tracks by all the bands that we discuss. Hope you enjoy listening. Let's get going. So welcome to The Symbol Podcast. This is episode 13 and I'm joined from Liverpool, I believe, by Stephen Kerrison via Zoom. How's it going, Stephen? Hello. Yeah, very well, thanks. Yeah, cheers, Dave. Cool. You you are in Liverpool, aren't you, currently? I am in Liverpool, yeah. I'm uh, about a stone's throw away from Penny Lane. Oh, yeah. So that's something I discussed with Susie Gage a few episodes back. Uh, yes. Obviously, <laughs> Su- Susie is someone you know as well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I've known Susie a long time. Yeah. So Stephen used to live in Bristol. We don't. We have met, but very, very briefly. Uh, we don't really know each other very well, though I'm aware of of your music and your bands. I think our bands have played together a few times in the past. I think they have, yeah. Same, I, yeah, we've only only met once or twice, maybe. But um, yeah, again, yeah. I'm aware of your work for, for years. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so you are currently in lockdown along with the rest of the world. Um, yes. Let's just start by, by broaching that. How is that going? How are you finding life at the moment? Well... I'm quite a fan of staying in, so <laughs> it's, <laughs> I mean, apart from all of the really awful things that are happening around the world, personally, mm. on a sort of daily basis, I'm, I'm sort of doing all right. I get to, mm. luckily, I'm in a position where I can stay at home uh, and I can be with my family, which is fabulous. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it is really weird, isn't it? And, it's a strange uh, time for sure. Yeah, and just really, <laughs> just really terrible for so many people. I think that's yeah, the, of course, big time. So, just, so you run a mastering service called Tall Trees Mastering. Um, I do. do you, you do that from home. You have a studio at home, or is there somewhere you somewhere you go? I don't. I've I've got a small setup at home where I can do. Um, like tweaks and amendments and any kind of um, like administrative stuff that needs to be done with mastering. Sure. Yeah. Um, but any of the any of the sort of critical listening audio stuff, uh, I have to go to the studio to do it. Okay. Are you still um, able to do that at the moment? Yeah, just about actually. Because um, yeah, it's I've got a studio about ten minutes away from the house. Um, okay. That's uh it's completely isolated and there's only a couple of us that that run it yeah so um <laughs> through careful careful texting we can work out how to keep ourselves socially distanced from one another yeah yeah um, i i hope i don't mean to put you on the spot and reveal you as a, a non-social distancer which obviously <laughs> you're not. but like i'm in a similar situation you know the advice in this country is stay at home unless if you if you can't do your work at home you have yes. to go to work really i'm in the same situation i have a workshop luckily i work alone so i can just get in the car breathe my own air go yeah, exactly sit and hammer cymbals and come back and so i'm you know kind of similar situation there so yeah so I, and I'm, yeah mastering's quite a 
kind of uh, solitary thing to do anyway. I mean, I, I know people yeah. do attended sessions and things like that, but it's it generally kind of involves a long time sitting on your own, uh, mm. listening to the same bit of music over and over and over again, <laughs> really, yeah. really closely. Yeah. How are you finding that? Pers- I mean, that's difficult at the the best of times, you know, the perspective issue with just playing the same three seconds of music on a loop for hours on end. Do you do, do you get into a kind of head funk? Is, um, that a ch- is that your kid crying in the background? Oh, I don't know, is it? I've, I've, I've got uh, noise cancelling headphones on. So, uh, <laughs> P- parenting tip there, like it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, yes, it probably is. That's all right. It's all good. It's all good. My cat's probably going to start kicking off in a minute anyway. So. <laughs> um, uh, what were we saying? Mastering. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, perspective issue. I don't... I mean, I don't generally have a problem with it because, um, I mean, <laughs> sort of listening to the same section of music over and over again. I mean, it's a slightly exaggerated for comedic effects um, yeah. statement because mastering is actually quite quite a quick process. Like you tend okay. to get better results if you work quite quickly. Okay. Um, yeah. If you get too stuck on any one particular point, you end up sort of going down a rabbit hole, which, and then you quickly lose perspective. Oh, that's interesting. Think, yeah. Because I think being able to look at... Um, especially when you're working on a on a whole album, mm. being able to kind of see the whole album as one big broad stroke and sure. kind of uh, it, it's, it's quite important. You sort of look, even though it, you do sometimes get really right down into super detail stuff. Mm. Initially, you're just kind of listening to it and go, well, if I was listening to this in the background, would it sound right? What jumps out at me, you know? Yeah, right. So yeah. by the time you've got all those kind of issues sorted out, the really critical little problem-solving things, I mean, that that's just what they are, you know, they're not... Uh, yeah, sure. It's almost, it becomes a lot less about music and more about just making sure some numbers line up. Yeah, okay. I, I guess a lot of that's for the mix as well. Is that fair? Like the kind of hyper-surgical stuff? Yeah, yeah, it or can may, be, may, but... Yeah. Maybe that's just me, you know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> our, our thing's sort of dropping in and out a little bit, so I'm talking over you. But I was I was talking to Robin Allender on the previous episode about working fast versus working yeah. slow. And like the same in his stand-up comedy, the more kind of spontaneous and um, broadly thought out something is, generally speaking, the better. Like as soon as you start picking something apart and trying to piece it together in certain ways, you're off, like you say, down a rabbit hole. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely the same in mastering. It's, um, I mean, I was watching a, uh, I was watching an interview with Mike Hillier, who's a mastering engineer who works at Metropolis in London. Okay. And, uh, he's, you know, really sort of one of the big guys, you know, and, uh, (laughs) the interviewer said, so how long does it take you to, you know, to master a song? And he just shrugged his shoulders and just went half an hour. Right. And I just thought, flipping heck. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, that's confidence. I think it's... Uh, right, right. But, and I guess, uh, you know, over the more experienced you are and the more you know your room and, you know, mm. what you're listening for, you know, I can see how that would be possible. Um, sure. I, I take a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. So, so you are also, you've just... You haven't released your album yet, have you? It's coming out in April. You you play as well and you record. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, 
I've, I mean, like most people who end up kind of in things like production and mastering, uh, I've been a musician for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, I've got a, but this is actually my first, my first proper solo album. Okay. It's called Mater, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, got that right on uh, April the 17th. So you've got your band camp. Uh, which mm-hmm. I will link link to in the show notes. So I'm assuming you did the whole thing. You recorded it and played and sang. I did. Yeah. I. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of contributions from other from other musicians. Yeah. Um, my nephew played some accordion. Oh, um, great. Which is cool. Uh, a good friend of mine, Nick Hunt. Uh, who used to play in um, a band called Outfit. Uh, Before that, he was in a band called Indica Ritual. He plays trumpet on it. Cool. And a good friend of mine, Richard Quirk, who is a Manx Canadian musician. Uh, He played some... What did he play? Electric piano. Um, But he processed it through a big modular unit. Right. Yeah, so I was going to ask you on your uh, on your band camp you're you've put yourself as an exploratory musician and producer um i just wondered if you could kind of go into that in your sort of angle to that title well i find it difficult to sort of say oh i'm a i'm a songwriter or sure. i'm a guitarist or i'm this and that and um a lot of the projects that i've done over the last sort of 15 years or whatever have been really disparate um but they've all been sort of tied together by the idea that you're sort of taking an idea and running with it and seeing what you can wring out of it right and, okay uh, and i kind of think that's i kind of kind of like the word exploratory because mm. it's you know it, to me it just means right you're really you're thinking about something and you're seeing sure. where it's going to take you sure sure so, so like listening, I, I had listened to Tread Carefully, the single off uh, mm-hmm. off the album. The single's actually available now, isn't it? It um, is, yeah. Yeah, so so that's over on, on the band camp. So I, I was wondering, and I assume this is the case, that um, when you started playing, so you were in bands in Bristol like Safety Word and Zanzan yep. Is Is it Egui? Yep. Or I, it was a long yeah, time Agui, ago. Yeah, Egui, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and were you producing at that point or, or did it sort of, start becoming something i think a lot of us in that position started self-producing with the advent of for a start like cd burners and then like software on the computer and stuff yeah definitely now (laughs) so i've listened to a lot of um interviews with uh with producers and mastering engineers and stuff like that Mm. and the the story is generally quite similar yeah so they say well I was a musician and I was in a band and we needed to record ourselves and I kind of got into it and I started doing it and and that's how people fall into it. But for me, it came it came really kind of almost embarrassingly late. Okay. <laughs> so I so I was I was quite uninterested in uh, in kind of the recording process. I was really sort of fixated. I'm just like, no, I'm. You know, I'm just here to play the stuff, and and I'd always be in bands with people who, who sort of took that role on. Okay. Uh, that you know, there, there'd always be someone in the band who was really good at that sort of stuff who'd kind of look after it, and I never yeah. really got involved. Right. And then, 
what happened? I think, I think I just found myself wanting to record some of my own music and thinking, oh, I'll have to, I'll have to get my friend so and so to do it. Mm. And it just dawned on me that I'd been in and out of studios for years and years and hadn't paid any attention whatsoever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and just got this wave of like, oh man, why, why haven't you been listening? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah that's, so it, do you not think that could be a positive thing as well, though? In, in the sense that you weren't kind of trying to second guess your, your process, if you see what I mean. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I was quite happy to just leave it to other people, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's laziness mm. or... It's <laughs> but you <laughs> but kind just... of came, came to it when you were ready. Like, again, sorry to backtrack, but again, in the previous episode with Robin, I was, we, we produced an album together and neither of us had the damn clue what we were up to. And I just started <laughs> whacking things on tracks in Cubase. And if I'm honest, looking back, because they looked really nice, you know, compressors jumping and around and stuff on oh, the screen. That's great, and, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really nice. But I, I think now I was trying to emulate something in a, a kind of visual sense without really kind of trying to go for the best sound. I think I was at the same time, but I was muddled, I suppose. Do you, see, yeah, do you know well, what I'm I mean, getting at? I do, yeah. And without any kind of, um, if you're, if you haven't been to school for this sort of stuff, or you, I mean, you know, the the sort of old school way of thinking about it is that you'd get in like a an internship, you know, where you yeah go and make tea at a studio and stuff like <laughs> that. I mean, it doesn't it just doesn't happen anymore. So you've got to yeah. just do it yourself. I mean, that's true. When, that's true. When are you talking here? Are you talking about the like sort of late? Like 2000 and... What, with Robin? What? Yeah. Oh, like first album stuff, so like 2006 odd, something like that. And probably Um, earlier still with some people, some bands. So, I mean, now, with YouTube and stuff like that, you can just figure out how to do it. That's true. But I guess in 2006, I mean, I guess YouTube was around, wasn't it? But I guess it wasn't such a go-to thing. So, I think with any of that stuff, there's only... You can only do it just by doing it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, a good friend of mine, um, well, a mutual friend, I think, uh, Aaron Ward, he yep. came round to my house um, and he showed me the very, very basics of how to use Ableton. Okay. And it was this was like my, my first kind of uh, experience with any of this. And I'd had, um, what did I get? I bought a little Focusrite... Um, audio interface just like the, the smallest cheapest one you could get yeah sort of one in one out sort of thing sure um and it came with a ableton live light oh yeah sort yeah of, sort of like eight eight tracks you know <laughs> hard, hardly any kind of plugins or anything like that yeah and i was like right and i t- i went um i went and stayed in a house in an airbnb in hastings for a month okay um <laughs> For, for for reasons that are probably you know too much to go into here, Intriguing. but I took okay. but I took my I just took my laptop, that interface and one guitar, and and I made an EP. Okay, and it was and it was completely trial and error. Like it was just mm. you know I didn't know what I was doing. Same you know, same as you experienced you know, yeah. putting compressors on things. Don't even really know what a compressor is. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sort of stuff, 
but you know it came out okay and you know i think that's that's a good way to look at it you know it's it's kind of a learning process and i assume correct me if this is wrong but as you were sort of learning the technical side that was informing the like the writing process perhaps and maybe it's all just part of the same thing definitely yeah i heard you talk about this with robin and yeah you were saying that because i mean it sort of ties into the idea i heard someone say something interesting the other day they said there's no such thing as a demo anymore right because, right because you start recording in to say you know say you're at home and you get an idea down and you get it into logic or reaper or whatever you're using and then it just kind of grows then doesn't it and the, I suppose the bits so, you, yeah yeah the bits you don't like about it you replace and yeah i see what you mean it becomes a finished product it never kind of reaches the stage where it's a you know unless you've just recorded something into your phone but there's uh, mm. this idea that you'd record <laughs> you'd kind of go into a studio or whatever to record a demo yeah and then yeah, yeah go in yeah. and then you go in again and record it you know with better yeah. microphones or whatever it doesn't really again doesn't really exist it's different times i guess yeah, yeah of course oh yeah absolutely can't keep well up. i've yeah i've talked about this with with people i remember i don't know if you know of the band well it's just a swedish girl i can't remember her name but she records under the name promise and the monster i um, no, i'm not familiar very, very nice. I mean, her first album was years and years ago and it was on MySpace and I can't remember how I came across it, but I really liked it and we'd struck up a conversation and I was kind of semi-running a small-ish sort of label at the time and I really wanted to sign her. Um, mm. um, and the other guys on the label, one of them in particular was like, no, we can't, it's all scratchy and demo-y sounding, we can't do that. No, no, no. And then she got picked up by some great big i'm still an indie label but she just like had thousands of copies pressed and toured the world because it was beautiful music you know yes it was scratchy and four track and whatever but she'd used it in such a lovely way that it was just warm and inviting you know what i mean absolutely and that's i mean that's the biggest thing to take away from all this it's like really really you know brilliant brilliant expensive amazing production will not save a really great song. Quite right. Will not save a uh, really yeah, bad no. song. Yeah, no, I, see, yeah. <laughs> I just agree with you automatically. I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and vice versa. Like, it doesn't matter if you record, you know, something on a phone, if the song's amazing. Sure. I mean, that's, that's what matters. That's what comes through. Of course it is. Uh, do you know our talking- Stevie Moore as well? Like, I don't know why he's I do, yeah. In. Yeah, he's just cropped into my mind because of the way he just churns out track after track after track you know just yeah definitely and like you know like yeah. sort of i'm not i'm not a huge fan but like the sort of the early aerial pink stuff you know that just sort of yeah sounds like the kind of like sonically sounds like the kind of stuff you used to try and make when you were a teenager with a little tuscan four track yeah yeah right but, but you know but the songs clearly spoke to people yeah so yeah it doesn't even matter let's go off again Let, let's talk about some gear because the oh, previous yeah. episode and many other episodes i've done i don't talk about symbols at all the whole point and again i've said this before this podcast is called the symbol podcast i'm a symbol maker but i just don't want to be talking about how many grams a certain symbol weighs and what people think of that you know so but let's talk about drums and cymbals so you mix records you produce you you master talk to me about that from a cymbal perspective because i got some catching up to do for people who think this is a cymbal thing well 
I think the type of drummer that you are will definitely sort of depend on how you, your music gets mixed and ultimately mm-hmm. mastered. Yeah. Um, I remember bef- like before I knew you, but, bef- but I knew of your work and stuff. Obviously I knew your stuff with Robin and I knew your stuff with Nick and things like that. Yeah. Um, someone said, <laughs> I can't remember who it was. I was trying to remember earlier who said this to me, but someone said, oh yeah, you know, Dave, Colin, yeah, he's a, he's a symbol guy. Oh, right. And they, and they didn't mean, I mean, this was before I knew you were interested in, you know, like sort of making symbols in the sort of workshop side of things. Sure. It's, they literally meant about your playing. That's interesting. And I, when I, I think I like that. <laughs> yeah, well, but it was really interesting because it made me then listen to the records that you were on and sort of really mm. concentrate on that. And uh-huh. it's like, oh, right, yeah, the symbol work is actually, it is more interesting than, you know, on lots of other records and things like that. Oh, cool. So from a, from a kind of mixing and mastering perspective, obviously, if you're listening to, you're listening to a drummer play, you want to be bringing out what's making that playing exciting, I think. Sure. So I mastered an EP recently by a, um, a sort of like a punk band, essentially. And they were, they were really, really great. And the recording was really sort of lo-fi and I think it was done to tape and things like that. And it was only when I really kind of started boosting the high end, I noticed how like, ridiculously interesting and intricate and clever the sort of hi-hat and cymbal work was. Right, and, it, okay. and it had kind of been totally buried. Well, not, oh, not right. totally buried, but it just, it, it hadn't been highlighted. Yeah. And I, I thought, you. oh, wow, but this, this is kind of what's making this exciting. This is what's, what it's bringing all the energy from, you know. Yeah, So, right, yeah, yeah, you can sort of make decisions like that you know, to bring out particular elements or things that you want to highlight within a mix. So, but did that cause problems with other elements kind of sitting in the same range? I suppose, are you talking about real kind of high end sort of? Yeah, like sort of of things. Exactly. The sizzly sort of stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. So I wonder then if there's a lot of records out there. I mean, there's, there's so many records that, um, and it's all subjective, isn't it? You know, you could listen to it and go and just not notice something that's going on, really, in a way. Oh, or definitely. Like, yeah, how it's kind of all intertwined or, or sort of supposed to be put across. Yeah, I, I, I remember a few years ago, um, again, I, I wish I could remember who I had these conversations with, but um, <laughs> I remember someone saying to me, oh, when did people start mixing hi-hats really low in the mix? Right. And, you know, this is like sometime in the 90s or something. And I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, if you listen to records from the 60s and 70s, the hi-hats, are they are higher in the mix than, than they ended up being sort of yeah. 20 years later. Don't yeah. know why. No. I mean, you're reminding me a bit. It might be a, a slight tangent, but obviously way sort of back in the 50s, 60s, there was such a big thing about the ride symbol, for example, you know, on jazz records, for example. Yeah. That was such a big part, like so many symbols i get a lot of requests for symbols by almost by name you know or, or the name of the player they say like yeah. the tony the tony williams ride oh wow so have you been able to identify like what people mean when they say that well i think now it's all pretty because you know with the internet obviously and more and more people are starting to make symbols and become interested in tinkering so all that information's kind of out there to to be completely honest i'm not really that interested in it <laughs> like <Right. laughs> pe- people ask can you clone the Tony Williams ride or an old Zildjian K or whatever? And yeah. like, not, that's not really why I do it, to be honest. I, 
I can sort of make something with similar characteristics. But there's, there is a kind of, I guess there's a line, like I don't want to diss the idea of really liking a symbol and wanting the same one, but there's also this kind of fetishism, I think, over the whole thing. You know, like you mentioned our friend Nick from Gravenhurst, our mutual friend, sadly, yeah. no, no longer with us. Um, I remember we, we were having a conversation about people who sp- spend like £40,000 on a guitar and then just kind oh, of hang it, you know, hang it on their wall. Like, like on one hand, like who am I to say you can't do that? I'm not saying that, but yeah, I, I just I just don't get it. I think it's it's, it's totally the same in the kind of uh, well, I mean, certainly in the mastering world, like the sort of fetishization of uh, of pieces of hardware. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's so rife, and it's uh, I mean, again, like you know, who am I to say you know that it's good or bad or whatever? But it's uh, right. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't use, I don't use any hardware compressors or EQs, right? Like at at all. Do you use emulated I, ones then, like in PST? Occasionally, like, I mean, I do have access to them, and I, yeah, occasionally. But it's I, I don't like say for example, if I use like an emulation of a hardware compressor, it will be for the kind of colour that it adds rather than the compression that it does. Right. Like I okay. u- yeah. Like I'll I'll put a hardware compressor that has a certain type of colour that's you know that's emulating certain circuitry and things like that. But I'll just leave all the compression off and then I'll use a digital compressor uh, afterwards. <laughs> uh, yeah. I see what you mean. Okay. Um so yeah, but but yeah I mean this stuff costs so much money and I kind oh, of yeah. I kind of feel like especially in this day and age, because, you know, the emulations are so good, I kind of feel like saying, well, if you can if you can genuinely tell the difference, then you should be spending the big money. Right, right. I, I, <laughs> but, but if you can't, then, you know, sort of save yourself save a dollar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember recording an album with a band, I won't mention the band, um, gosh, 20 years ago, I suppose, or maybe a bit later, I mean, there was a silly amount of money suddenly available for, for various reasons. Mm. Um, and we had this producer come in, he worked with a lot of big names and like brought his real high-spec computer in to, to like, the studio owned by one of the band members and was playing a mix of one of the songs and was like, right, listen to this one. I think he got to a point, one of the members in the band was very kind of picky and all the stuff we're talking about, like hardware versus software, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And this producer came in and said, right, I've, I've done two versions of the mix. You can probably tell where this is going. And he said, listen to this one, play, play, play. Now listen to this one, which one's better? And this guy in the band said, definitely the second one. It's like, I can just hear the clarity in the, and, and the producer went, I knew it. They're exactly the same file. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just like blew the whole process out of the water. And we all yeah. just had to go away and think, <laughs> think about what we definitely. Done. And there's not, you know, there's, I'm not saying that you can't tell the difference between, you know, like a super high end, like 50 grand compressor, or whatever, and, a, and an emulation. Sure. Like you, you probably can, but whether one is actually better, I think is subjective. They're different. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I think that's the thing. Different versus better is a, is like a big thing that you really need to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Is is it the same with um, 
with symbols. I mean, are there sort of clones of, uh, of super expensive, super um, kind of iconic symbols? Yeah, they tend to come from the the independent guys like myself. Although I yeah. I don't do that. I I'm not really interested in that. And there are some, if I'm honest, I I sort of haven't figured out yet. I'm I don't mind saying that. Um, there are some guys who almost kind of exclusively do do that sort of stuff. Fine. Okay. Um, yeah, and again, it's not for me to say. It's just looking at it. Sometimes I think, what's I'm not sure they do sound quite. The same, but you know, I have the beholder and all that. I, yeah. I, I kind of have nowhere else to go with that, <laughs> with with that because, like, it's again, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, and I, I don't just want to write off someone's entire opinion. You know what I mean? No, exactly. And I certainly don't want to write off, like, from you know, from my, you know, from sort of my perspective, I don't want to write off, you know, these guys who've got these incredible mastering equipment yeah. <laughs> i'm not saying for one second that like oh what are you doing you know just just get a laptop like, well i guess yeah that's a good point maybe it works i'm not the, saying the other that. way <laughs> yeah yeah but i guess there's lots of people who are like oh it's either on four track tape or nothing you know it's classic and it's oh definitely you know. and also there's a there's a certain um there's like an experience with that as well like to to be able to you know you you should be paying like for, again bringing it back to mastering <laughs> if you yeah. You, if you're going to a you know a person who has got an amazing studio in an amazing room with all this incredible hardware equipment that costs tens of thousands of pounds, like you should be paying good money for that because yeah, yeah. you'll get to go there, you'll get to hear your stuff being fed through all this amazing stuff. Like it's like it's an amazing experience. Like it's sure. incredible, and that's you know you you should be paying <laughs> you know for you should be paying more for that than what I do. Right. It's just, Fair enough. It, yeah. But it's just that I think I'm not, I mean, I'm not aiming my business at like Adele, you know, it's sort of, and you know, and the universal yeah. records and all that sort of stuff. I'm because I've come from a kind of indie DIY kind of background. Yeah. Just that's if, kind of, if Adele's listening, no offense. Yeah, no, I mean, if she, obviously I, I'm happy to give her a quote, <laughs> but um, the world in which I've come from, like, mastering is quite an expensive thing. Mm, like, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, lots of people record their own stuff now, you know, and, and you know, everything's just so accessible and quite easy and stuff like that. But mastering yeah. that last, you know, that last step is like, it's always expensive, always. It is, yeah. And I just thought, well, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be <laughs> if people yeah. can make this choice. I'm not saying for a second that, you know, that I'm budget or anything because I'm still quite expensive. But, um, yeah. you know, it's not. Uh, I just think there's there was room for something to be like, OK, you don't just do it yourself. You know, just stick a limiter on the end and turn it up. And you don't also have to pay like thousands to go and sit in sure, Metropolis. Sure. Like there's got to yeah. be somewhere in the middle where like, you know, because it's so much of it's just listening and just learning how to sure. how to listen properly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know why I, I'm kind of thinking now of, do you know those two, the last two Talk Talk records? 
Mm, yeah, of um, course. Yeah, so obviously they were in a very good position being told by a major label to spend as much money as you like. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, they, they could go in, they could be in a studio with amazing gear that they knew how to work with. Like, they exactly. knew what, what results to get. And there was a lot of editing and, and jamming and, and stuff. But, like, I th- in that case, those records just sound and feel incredible. Like, you oh, they really tell. do the care and the knowledge and the experience and just the pure musicianship that's gone into that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's ultimately like, you know, I mean, you've just nailed it. The musicianship. I yeah. mean, that's it. Those records would still be amazing if they didn't sound quite as good. Like right. The, yeah. yeah. They'd all still be there. I mean, the fact that they sound amazing is just, is like a bonus, I think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was talking to I was talking to someone a little while back actually, and, and they were saying, "Oh, you know, getting into production and and that sort of stuff. Like, do you find it ruins music for you? Like, <laughs> like, do you yeah, listen yeah. to stuff and go, oh God, that's recorded so badly? You know, I can't enjoy it.' Yeah. And I said, "Well, actually, I kind of I almost feel the opposite because something that's badly recorded it doesn't ruin the song at all for me." Right. Okay. Whereas, whereas something that uh, something that's really, really, really well recorded, even if I don't necessarily like the material, it's mm. there's something I can enjoy about it, and something yeah, I can get from it. Yeah, so it's yeah, almost yeah. like it's broadened. You know, my <laughs> so like I can enjoy even more music now, which is great. <laughs> cool. Well, there's a tip for everyone: get into production. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you let's move on a bit. Um. You live with your wife, Sorrel, I do. Yep. and your son, I believe. Yeah. You've got, you got a son. How old's your son at the moment? He's seven and a half months. Seven and a half months? Wow. Yeah. How's, how's it going on <laughs> lockdown? With- <laughs> uh, well, it's great, actually. I mean, he's, he's obviously unaware that there are other babies in the world, um, <laughs> which is potentially going to be damaging somewhere down the line. But other than that, it's great. I'm getting to be at home with yep. them a lot. Which is lovely, and I'm not missing any of the, uh, you know, any yeah. of the important stuff. And your your dog as well. Yes, pipe. Yes. Pipe. I was going to ask you why the name pipe. Be- I mean, well, not that it not that it shouldn't be. No offence. Just wondered if there was a story behind pipe. the name pipe. Pipe existed as a as a concept before he existed as a real animal. Um, me and Sorrel. <laughs> sort of like stupid late night conversations would always talk about oh so when we get a dog it'll be like this scruffy little brown thing and who looks like a pipe cleaner okay. and, we'll, and we'll just call him pipe <laughs> so it was like the stupidest thing ever and then uh yeah we found this little scruffy brown dog <laughs> called him pipe fair enough so tick the boxes <laughs> yeah exactly Cool. Um, just remind me, did Sorrel play in a band with you? Did you play together? We did one gig together. Okay, I'm, I'm um, going to ask you about it. In fact, I'm, this yeah. is recording now, so, so that little break we had is now no longer a break. So tell okay. me about being doing that one gig with Sorrel, um, like what you both played and how it went. It, it was really good, actually. It was a really, it was a really fun thing to do. Um, we used to live in... Uh, used to live in a little flat on Old Market in Bristol. Yeah. Um, and 
we decided to do to just write some songs together, um, which we don't do as much as I'd like, really, um, mm. just due to time and things like that. But yeah, I mean, she's an incredible singer, like an amazing vocalist and a really excellent guitarist as well. Yeah. So we thought, oh, well, let's just make a few songs, like really sort of minimally. So she played guitar and sang. And I, I just had like kind of little toys, really, like a little Yamaha tone generator and um, a little loop pedal that I put some <laughs> toys. It was like two hundred quid um, <laughs> that I'd put kind of loops from, like just just anything really, just like just, apps yeah. on the phone and like you know, and sort of made these kind of like sort of backing. No, like accompaniments basically to sort of her playing and mm. singing. Cool. And then we had this idea that like, right, let's record it and mix it and master it and do our first gig <laughs> in an afternoon. <laughs> right. Okay. So so we did. We we called upon our good friend Aaron, who yeah. came down uh with his laptop and recorded it. Um, we just played it live and uh, he recorded it and then he sort of mixed it and did this kind of rudimentary master on it. And then in the time where we had to, where we'd finished recording to the time where we had to be at the venue to, to play, we spent that entire time burning CDs. Oh, oh I see. Um, <laughs> and putting them into um, sleeves that we'd already made. Right. And then, yeah, and then we got to the gig and we set up and then we just performed it all again in front of people. That's great. That's cool. And it was the only time we ever did it. Which venue was that? It was at Roll for the Soul. Roll for the Soul. Oh, is that what's now the lanes? Have I got that right? Uh, No, but it's it's just, it's round the corner. It's like it's on, um, what's that street called now? God, I haven't lived in Bristol for... Like three and a half years, and I've forgotten all the street names. No, that's I know what you mean, like central Bristol kind of. Exactly, I yeah, look like sort of yeah. cycle cafe, sort of DIY space. It's really cool. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's a really nice idea. I like that. Um, yeah, it's weirdly, it's not the only time I've done something similar. Actually, really, <laughs> it reminded me. I did. Um, so I used to be in a band with um, with a really good friend of mine, uh, Robbie Cooper, who is unfortunately no longer with us. Um, I remember Robbie. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I didn't know whether you knew, I didn't know you knew him. But, um, yeah, he was in Geisha, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was in for Geisha for a little while. Yeah. So we used to do this two-piece band called Iron Crease, um, which was a sort of quite a silly... Uh, yeah, it's it just, just a two-piece, and the whole idea was that, like, all the really sort of good bits in heavy metal songs, we just take them out and just string them all together so that there's like only good bits. Um, <laughs> and, we, and we did our second album was one, was one song and mm. it's 27 minutes long. Nice. And uh, we recorded it. <laughs> we recorded it live in one take in Dundee. And then we did exactly the same thing. We packed the stuff down and then we went to a venue and played play the gig cool is that recording yeah. up on up anywhere for it is yeah it's on Bandcamp. Uh, what uh, under your name or 
Uh, no, or under, under Iron Crease. So it's Iron Crease, and then it was our second yeah. album. It's called Bent Metal. <laughs> Great. Oh, I'm just writing it down. I'll pop this all in the show notes and stuff so, so people can take a listen. I'd like to take a listen. Sounds really good. Um, <laughs> I mean, Rob, Robbie was amazing. I mean, we'd oh, he was a great drummer. He's such a good drummer. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I've been really lucky. I've worked with some great drummers. Yeah, I was just thinking back to the Bristol scene, actually, remembering, like we said at the at the beginning when we started chatting about the fact that our bands had played together mm. over the years. And actually, I was going to come to this later, but I'll, I'll, well, I don't know how much later there's going to be because we've already done three quarters an hour. But, um, so you were in a band. Yeah, you were in uh, Anta for a little while. Was it- I was, yeah. Yeah, so, so what I wanted to ask you about that is obviously in Anta, you've got James King on drums. Yeah, uh, record producer um, runs Live yeah. Sound. You know, you've got Joe Garcia, yeah. record producer. <laughs> you yeah. know, very he's kind of goes off around the world with like Gang of Four and that doing their Live Sound. Yeah. You see why why I didn't have to take notice? Yeah, but at that point, <laughs> were you taking notice? Is what I was going to no. say. And okay, so that was pre your your kind of interest. But I was wondering in that case, if you've got like two or more producers in a band, where if there's friction that comes in. To, to the sort of process like who takes control in that in that case I don't remember there being any in that like in that uh, respect at all I sure. mean it was we were just so like so lucky to have those two I mean they yeah. they, uh, they are a powerhouse rhythm section <laughs> they're, they're really quite something like quite yeah. a, like incredibly powerful and loud and you know they're superb. Um, I think myself and Alex were just kind of uh, just sprinkling stuff on top. Really, you know, it was a, right. the answer is absolutely about that rhythm section. I I felt, um, but yeah, I mean, when we recorded uh, the album that I did with them, I mean, it was it was brilliant because we didn't need engineers or producers or anything. We did it in um, we did the album in in. St- the old state of art studios, you know, like um, the sort of old Portishead studios. Is that in Bedminster in, in Bristol? It is I'm now right. that they yeah. they moved to Bedminster, but this was uh. before they moved. It was in Easton. Okay, all right. And it and it was ace because we didn't <laughs> we didn't need anyone else there. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. Joe and James had a really good relationship with um, with Jeff Barrow, and he sort of said, "Oh, you know, you can, yeah, you, know, you can just use it." on the downtime sort of thing. Cool. So, um, yeah, they injured... I mean, it's now knowing what I know about record production and everything like that, for them to come in and engineer and produce an album and play on it mm. <laughs> of that of that scale, because, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a DIY job. I mean, it was a pretty sure. serious studio and we were, you know... <laughs> it was, yeah, it was quite, a, quite an advanced thing. And they were yeah, really right, superb yeah. at it. That's cool. It's good experience by the signs of it. Yeah, I mean they're great, absolutely amazing. I really like yeah. playing in that band a lot. Cool. Um, I'm going to come back as well to talk about Sorrel just briefly, yeah. um, because she is also extremely talented. I, I'm not sure if I'll, you know cross stitch probably isn't the right word for what she does. It's or, not. Or, no. So that's as far as my knowledge <laughs> of that goes. What what would 
It, what is that she does? She's a like, she's an embroidery artist. Embroidery artist. Thank you. Yeah, cross stitch. Sorry, Sorrel. I know you'll be listening. Um, <laughs> so so the reason I I was thinking about it, she does the embroidery artist thing. And yeah. when that Childish Gambino track, uh, This Is America, dropped, as they say, yeah. was that was that last year or even the year before? Maybe even the year before, yeah. Crikey, blimey. Um, anyway, so she did one of of him of childish gambino like a <laughs> she did very yeah. kind of detailed really impressive embroidery of him and like the this is america embroidered into it which obviously yeah i think it got quite a lot of attention and it was brilliant but i quite liked that i guess like me calling it cross stitch again sorry um <laughs> it, it just seems like using that sort of art form to then put childish gambino on with his this is america and all the messages of that i loved that crossover for no other reason than done i loved it if you know what i mean definitely well she i mean her first um the first piece that she did that sort of really garnered any um any sort of attention was um was a sort of head and shoulders portrait of wiley so so again and and it got it was um, you know, it was hung in a gallery in London, like a sort of celebration of grime art sort of thing. And, oh, uh, cool! And it was it was cool, and it was for ex- you know that exact reason. It's like you're sort of taking this medium, which is uh, you know it's traditionally seen as quite you know quite crafty and maybe a little bit mumsy, exactly. and yeah, know, she's done a portrait of a of a rapper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Which is really cool. So yeah, and she she did an album cover for um, Andrew Hung. Oh, um, from Fuck Buttons. Yeah. Oh, cool. I was wondering whether we could say fuck. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we that got us into trouble actually. Uh, at one point, that's another that's another <laughs> anecdote. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so she did did his album cover, which was great because he'd seen the Wiley um, portrait and got in touch right. there and said, "Oh, you know, could you could you do a portrait of me?" I mean, everyone wants cool. a portrait of themselves, don't they? So <laughs> I, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> no? about that. I, I used to work as a picture framer years and years ago, and oh, right. this, and someone brought in this massive picture of themselves that they just wanted to hang <laughs> facing where they sat in their lounge. And it's like, there is actually an enormous self-portrait of Sorrel in our lounge at the moment. Is there? I think it's brilliant now. <laughs> <laughs> there really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I worked as a picture framer, I had someone come in. After 9-11 had happened, actually, just to lower the tone. Oh, wow. Um, and it was a poster of all the front pages from the day after, you know, no. see, September the 12th, like, say, the front pages of all the newspapers from around the world saying, you bastards, and showing the burning towers and stuff. Um, and I said, oh, God, yeah, I can frame it for you. If you want, that's fine. Such a sad day, wasn't it? You know, try and have a conversation. And she, she went, yeah, you know, I found this poster. I thought it looked nice in my toddler's bedroom. What? <laughs> but, yeah. I like, beg your pardon? Okay. I don't, that, that has nothing to do with symbols or music or <laughs> you or me. But <laughs> just That's something. incredible. Yeah. People. I'd also like to point out, just in case that this does actually make the edit, that uh, if if Sorrel knew that I'd told everyone that there's a massive self-portrait of her hanging in our uh, living room, it's not. It's actually me that insisted it went up there, and it is <laughs> and it is only temporary. She but she made it. Um, she made it for a for a specific uh, exhibition, and okay. which it hasn't gone to yet. And I said, well, you know, it's going to be gone soon. Yeah. You know, let's let's display it for a bit. 
And then, so she, I mean, she explains that to everyone who comes in the house. (laughs) Okay, so we're in the clear. Everything's all right. (laughs) Good. Now, just going back again, what the reason I was, so I was saying about Childish Gambino and like the crossover of uh, embroidery and rap, (laughs) you know, classic combo. Um, So on one of, yeah, on one of your albums, you've got a track called 350 million pounds a week. Yes. Like I do, this is a bit of a tenuous link, but of, that's a kind of, you know, a bit of topical inspiration going on there, at least in terms of the title, because that's an instrumental track anyway, isn't it? It is, yeah. So I made I made an EP. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, hell, that's isn't embarrassing. That, isn't that on instrumental music? It is, but that's a compilation. Ah, oh, right, okay. Um what was the original EP called? I can't remember. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, this will definitely get cut out. Um, no, no, I know. I keep in as much as I can. Keep, <laughs> keep it real. It was called... It was <clears throat> called... Oh, yeah, it was called Factories. Um, okay. And I, it was it was as I was kind of finding my, my sort of stride with recording and uh, stuff like that. Um, and I made this EP called Factories and it was obviously yeah. around all of the time, you know, I, I don't, I mean, it was pre the sort of Brexit bill actually passing and all the rest of it, but it was when all right. of this sort of awful misinformation was being bandied about and, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, the music that came out was, was quite bleak. Right. Um, so it was it was horrible actually i cuz i wanted to i wanted to you you know you whenever you're making music i guess you always want to say something and uh, cuz it was instrumental music it's a good opportunity to kind of say kind of whatever you like you know because you can kind of uh, yeah yeah i think um it was always a I've been I've done quite a few instrumental things before and it was always a bit of a kind of naughty trick where you'd kind of do the music first and then you'd listen to it and then you'd put all the song titles on and attach some sort of story and claim that it was all right. influenced by this or, <laughs> and the, the instrument the instrumental music had been about something you know when Right 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 yeah. when really that had kind of been added after the fact um but this like genuinely felt like the music was quite uneasy and it was quite you know and it did feel quite genuine and I thought right well I'll going to take this a little bit further and mm. i started oh it was awful i started researching all of the like the like the worst kind of like daily mail articles i could find you know about God. all this awful misinformation and just like, stuff that's just, it was just outright lies you know and uh, sure yeah and picking out like the the most choice quotes and then calling the songs Okay. That. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I called the, I called the EP factories because there was there was so much talk of like, won't it be great when all the factories are back? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, quite like put, putting aside the kind of bleak imagery and and the state of the world. It's quite a nice way of working. Is that sort of openness to just take something from around you and and sort of attach it, even after the fact? I think that's okay, you know, because something's guiding you. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not. I mean, I, I use the word disingenuous. It's not, it's not necessarily disingenuous because a lot of the time when you're yeah. writing the music, you're not really thinking about. You know, you're thinking about the music itself. You know, a lot of the time from a technical standpoint. So you're not really yeah. thinking too much about the sort of emotional response that it will evoke once it's finished. Sure. So yeah, I guess it's a bit unfair to sort of uh, <laughs> to say it's disingenuous. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, it's a way of working, and that's fine I'd say. yeah ex- exactly yeah yeah well look we've been going on and on for ages but um let's t- let's talk about drummers briefly because uh, yeah let's do it why, uh, that's why we're here so talk to me about drummers who it's such a, a stupid question who is your favorite drummer or just I, tell me some drummers you like i i don't know i mean i've got okay. two i've got two sort of things here because i've on. i've been super super lucky to work with some really great drummers like really great drummers and I don't think I at the time I'm not even entirely sure I appreciated how good they were so um so I want to mention um I used to be in this band called Safety Word yeah and the drummer of Safety Word is a guy called Jan Davey who he's still playing actually he plays in Coims um Uh, is that that in Bristol still yeah yeah he's I think well I think they play around Bristol. I'm not sure they live in Bristol anymore. I think they're around there. But right. he was just the most invent. I think he's the most inventive drummer that I've ever seen, <laughs> let, let, let alone worked cool. with. He was just astonishing. Like his kind of yeah. approach to it was so interesting. And Are you able to had- kind of elaborate, like say, what is it? I know it's difficult to talk about music, but... Uh, no, well, know, that- I, he'd very rarely just play a sort of <laughs> a, a sort of backbeat he sure. was always doing something that was completely intertwined with every other aspect of the instrumentation mm, so it cool. was uh, there was something always going on and he seemed to have this incredible ability to isolate limbs and make them do things totally out of time but <laughs> but sort of somehow find their way back in and uh, and it's just so inventive, and he always used to push right to the very, very edges of his ability to the right, point where, cool. you, where you couldn't always work out exactly what he was doing for the first <laughs> however many times you'd play a song through. You just kind of oh, right. just sound like there was just some clattering going on in the background, and then all of a sudden, right. once he'd kind of got it right, you'd go, "Oh my god!" You know, that's that's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his interesting. Brain yeah. was so far ahead, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just just amazing, mm. and that band it was remind- such a pleasure to be in. Yeah, I remember playing with that band actually, uh, as in like we our bands played together. Yeah. It reminded me a bit you talking then of Jim White, like his drumming. Yes, I, yeah. I mean I'm not saying they're similar in style, but he's got that very kind of fluid, sort of pushy pulley thing, which I guess to some people first listen they go, "What's he up? Is he still putting the kit together?" But yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it's all like I mean- sort of. Yeah, there's all texture and colour in it, isn't there? Yeah, Jim White's amazing. He's kind of... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's very sort of textural with him. It's kind of like... He's also... Jim White's got quite um Whether it actually is relaxed or not, I don't know. But it feels very relaxed, mm. what he does. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's it, true. It feels quite laid back and he's quite, you know, sort of behind the beat and, you know, yeah. kind of... Uh, yeah, there's... There's a weird lethargy to his playing, I think, in a really good way. That's interesting. Yeah. 
That is interesting. And it's interesting you say whether it is relaxed or not. So, yeah. Well, it must be. Te- I mean, it's technically incredibly skillful. But yeah, sure. But it sounds very, you know, I don't know. I'm waving my arms around, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so t- I guess Jan, imagine Jim White, but he's had like far too much coffee and he's got a lot yeah. on his mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Um, again, like I'll put some, I'm thinking in particular of, you know, Nina Anastasia. She, yeah. she did an, al- an album with Jim White and there's, there's one track on there in particular, I think. Is it called Our Discussion or Our Argument or something? And right. Jim White's drumming on that is, like you say, kind of, I'd never thought of it that way, a bit kind of lethargic, but also punctuating kind of after the fact. And it's perfect. Yeah. It's exactly I, what the song needs. I went to the, um, that's great. I went to, so this was back in 2007, maybe. <clears throat> I went to the Dirty Three ATP. Oh, yeah. And basically, like every band that Jim White plays for, played. So, you, so you just got to see Jim White play drums about five times a day for three days in a row. It was brilliant, <laughs> right? And then probably shellac about six times, just because. Well, yes, yeah, shellac for breakfast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, just I guess briefly, because again, we've had a great old chat. Um, just a few more drummers. Let's go. How do you? I don't know why this has popped into my head. I'm a big hmm. fan of Bill Bill Bruford, which I've mentioned mm-hmm. before. So, like, sort of going back to to prog, perhaps. How do you feel about that? Um, I like prog a lot. Um, I talked to Robin, didn't you, about Tool and uh, like Danny yes, Carey. Yeah. I mean, Danny Carey's amazing. Like, he's, he's great. He's, yeah, he is. He's incredible. But I think, um, like, I've got, I've got a little list here of of, uh, of drummers that I thought, Before. oh well, you know, because you've got to be prepared for these things, haven't you? And the only one I can really think of on on this list that's particularly proggy was um, was Mary Lee's Freshville from Vialka. Do you remember them? I don't know. So Vialka were this two-piece band. This sort of, um, I think they were French Canadian, um, and they were they did a lot of sort of heavy touring, and um, I think they were like a husband and wife duo, right? And they did this kind of quite um, like super complicated kind of almost like Balkan prog, I guess. Balkan um, prog. And her, yeah, her drumming was just. Oh, it's just outrageous. Like it's oh, absolutely right, cool. amazing and like super, super complicated, super expressive. Um, and she had all sorts of other things going on. Like she had a, at one point she had like an enormous xylophone, like strapped to a bass drum and stuff. And she'd kind of do these drum rolls that would sort of incorporate xylophone notes and stuff. So they become kind of melodic rolls. Oh, you know? wow. so just incredible stuff. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I tend to like I tend to like drummers who play quite um like play quite small and tight. So Okay. Yeah. Um like I, I um I saw Beak recently. Oh yeah. And I I hadn't quite realized how how good Jeff Barrow was as a drummer. Like I haven't actually seen them. Like they've been around a good while now, haven't they? Um Yeah, it, it's like just fantastic. I don't know what I was expecting, but it just had such yeah. a nice feel. This kind of like um like a, a little bit jazzy, but kind of harking back to kind of like that sort of tight 70s funk sort of style. It's really Okay, fantastic. yeah, 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 yeah. So you're saying about um, drummers who are 
you know, sort of tight and small. And I think I know mm. what you mean. But then also with, was it Vialka, you said, the name of that band? Mm. It sounded, sounded like it's very sort of wild almost. It was wild, but her she was still, her kit was still quite small and she didn't play particularly loudly. She wasn't a bombastic right, okay. drummer at all. I think right. maybe that's what I'm, what I'm getting at. Because um, it's quite easy to be impressed by the sort of big bombastic drummers, isn't it? Like, especially in prog. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, true. You know, like Neil Peart and uh, you know, and Danny Carey, and you know, people like that. It's just, it's like this larger than life. Like, there's an amazing amount of drums and so much going on, and everything's huge. Yeah, and, yeah. But I th- can I can I confess something? I, I guess now's the time. I don't yeah. really like Rush. I I don't really rate Neil part at all <laughs> that's a headline dave flipping it. yeah i mean say i don't rate that that is probably over overkill but it's, just for me personally i think i may have said this before but yeah it just doesn't do it for me I, I i can totally see why i think they're i think they're a little bit difficult to get into rush i'm not an enormous fan or anything but i could you know like like bits and bobs I've probably lost about half my customer base as well, which is terrible during the well, coronavirus. So that's real self-destruction. To, to bring it back, I think he, mm. I think as an individual and as a person, like he was amazing. Like I didn't Neil, know that much. Neil Perth. Yeah. 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 yeah completely. Yeah. Have you watched that documentary? The, the one that's doing the rounds on Netflix? No. It's really worth a watch. It's excellent. It? Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'll I think. Chuck that on the list. It really kind of, uh, it made me certainly have a lot more kind of respect for um, for them as people. Uh, yeah, didn't, yeah. It didn't necessarily make me like the music that much more, but um, Fair enough, yeah, they were yeah. cool. They're really genuine. Yeah. I think that really good. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe I'm just, I, it sounds a bit more severe than I mean it, perhaps, just because they're so revered, especially being a drummer and a cymbal maker. It's like, yeah. they're so much Rush, love. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll do it. That'll be the next episode. Just me dissing Rush. No, like I do l- like some of it, it, but like I can't get on board with the kind of hero worship of it all. And again, nothing, nothing against them as people. Obviously, it's just not music for me. But then you come to something like, do you know Starless and Bible Black, that King Crimson yeah. record? Mm-hmm. Like for me, that is prog. That is oh totally. Th- I saw King you know, Crimson um, about six months ago. So did I, funny enough. Where, which one did you see? I saw them at the Empire Theatre in Liverpool. Ah, I guess it was the same tour. I saw them in London. With yeah, the, it must have been. Three yeah, drummers. Three drummers down the front, <laughs> yeah. What did you make so of it? So intense. Well, here's, maybe here's my confession. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I actually left at the interval. Did you? Yeah, because it's not that I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. I just thought... Well, I've heard all the notes now. Like, <laughs> like I've, I really have heard every note there is, like lots and yeah. lots of times. And <laughs> I, I just felt a bit done in by it. It was okay, uh, fair I mean, enough. Fair it enough, was incredible. Yeah. Like, it really was amazing, and I, it was a, a such a brilliant experience. I'm so glad I went. But I think mm. that yeah, I mean, they've been playing for like an hour and a half already. And I yeah. just thought, God, flipping heck, this is just so much to take in. I think my brain was just a bit frazzled. 
Um, That's fair enough. I, I kind of mentioned this with Susie on the episode I did with her, with Dr. Susie Gage. Mm. Um, just the idea of like feeling, you know what, I've had enough and I'm off. I had enough as in yeah. that's plenty of a good thing. Like Exactly. Yeah, I've done that before. And I've also, what I've done a lot is stood or sat at a gig going, I kind of want to go. And, and then asking myself, why aren't I going? And then I get into this whole little self-argument thinking, this is ridiculous, just leave. And, you know, go out on a high, basically. No, there aren't many bands that I can watch for more than 40 minutes. I think that's... I find... Uh, yeah. That's enough. <laughs> I find live music, unless it's extremely good, like, again, subjective thing, but I do just switch off. Like, it has to be thoroughly engaging. Like, yeah, well, I've seen I've seen some gigs that... I've, you know, that have been incredibly long and I could have quite happily watched them for another two hours, you know, and I've seen 30-minute sets that have seemed like they've gone on forever. So it's... uh, (laughs) I've probably done some of those, yeah. (laughs) I know I definitely have. (laughs) So let's just... You said you had a little list, so just quickly let's hear hear Um, who else is on your list. Well, in Bristol, I I love Clive Deemer. I think he's amazing. Yeah. Oh, we could talk about that for a minute. What? Go on. What do Go you, on then. Are you are you a Radiohead fan? I am. Yeah, me too. Yes. So I am. They they get a bad rep for some reason. Uh, I I I kind of get it in the one hand, but I mean, come on. Mm. I think they're amazing. Oh, they're brilliant. Really interesting. I was watching. Um, you know, <laughs> we've all been inside recently, haven't we? So I've been watching a lot of uh, live things on on YouTube, and I was watching uh, Radiohead live. Thing. Mm. And uh, I thought the dynamic between Clive Deemer and um, uh, Phil, Selway. Phil Selway was really odd. Have you? Have uh, you... Odd, odd how? Well, I'm not gonna. I'm, I will re- remain silent for a moment. Tell me why. Okay. I th- because right whenever whenever I've seen bands with more than one drummer in the past, the communication between the drummers has always seemed to have been key. Like there's yes. always a, like a really good, you know, almost telepathic communication between them. They're looking at each other and, you know, watching yeah. each other's movements and, you know, and all the rest of it, which you'd imagine would be absolutely imperative. Sure. And I was watching this performance of them and they were facing in opposite directions. They, weren't even, they couldn't even see each other. And it just mm. looked like they were completely... They didn't look seem like there was any interaction between them at all, and I just thought that so, was so right. odd. Did that kind of change? If you hadn't have seen it, would do you think the playing also help? Sort of had something about it from that point of view. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think the, the playing was still okay. amazing. Like right, okay. I mean, they're, they're two brilliant drummers and brilliant musicians. But I just it was just yeah. an observation, really. It just I thought no, fair enough. Yeah, oh, that's a very odd thing to see. Because mm. um, I've, I've often wondered how Phil Selway sort of felt about another drummer coming in, who's yeah. just arguably better than he is, although that's purely subjective. Yeah, I mean, Clive is brilliant. He really is very, very good. I think like they're, they're two very different kind of drummers, I think. Yeah. Like, listening so. to Radiohead, Phil Selway, what he does is, is right for the music, but it, he's kind of... And I mean this in the nicest possible way. That's what he does, and that's kind of his limit, you know. Yeah, and he's really if, he's got if, a great if, feel. Yeah, but and Clive Deemer does what he does to his limit. It's but it's a different limit, 
Do you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe I'm being a bit too cautious there. I think Clive is a better drummer, basically. He's astonishing. I, I saw Get the Blessing on their last tour, and it's really nice. I managed to sort of in a really tiny venue in Liverpool, and it was just oh, it was cool. amazing. It's absolutely yeah. amazing to just be that close to just watch him play. Watch them all, really, but yeah, obviously focused on him. But, uh, well, yeah, gigs, another... gigs like that, there's always a little kind of like horseshoe of drummers at the front, just eyes <laughs> yeah. fixed, aren't there? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, that was really nice actually, because Joe Garcia was doing the sound as well, so we had a all had a cool. nice time and had a little drink. It was great, lovely. Um, but yeah, another uh, video thing that I watched. Um, I'm a big um, big Kate Le Bon fan. Ah, yeah. And I watched. Uh, I didn't get to see her on her current tour. So I thought, oh, you know, I found a, I found a performance on YouTube of her playing at like Pitchfork Festival, I think, on right. this current tour that she was doing. Mm-hmm. And the drummer that she had was incredible. Like okay. amazing. And I was I was absolutely blown away by how good this drummer was and how incredible uh, her performance was. Um so yeah, and it took me quite a bit of looking up to find out who she was. And her name's Dylan Hadley, and she's an amazing drummer. Okay. So there, I'd watch that Pitchfork video and uh, see what you make of that. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, see if I can find it. I'll, or send me the link if you can, that'd be great. Mm. Okay, Any, anything else you want to mention? Because we're, we're really nattering on and people have probably we are. switched off. <laughs> yeah, I imagine they have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's I, I mean, that's it. I mean, okay. a, a, a band is as good as its drummer. I mean, as, as they always say. Fair enough. I like it. Um, so what's what's coming up for you, apart from self-isolation for the foreseeable? Or is that well, <laughs> I mean, that is that is it at the moment, isn't it? I mean, um, Do you have work on? Have you got people sending you records? Yeah, I've got, got bits of work on, which is good. I mean, obviously, you know, I've got time to do more, which is nice. Yeah, um, hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, I am able to work, which is really, really good. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got some stuff coming up. Um, I mastered, I mastered the new album by uh, by my friend Paul Rafferty, who records under the name Doom Shakalaka. Um, okay, and that got its first play on Steve Lamac the other day, cool. and it that sounded cool. So yeah, nice stuff coming up. Right. In terms in terms of my own music, to be honest, the self isolation thing was kind of a Kickstarter for releasing it. Um, right. Because I thought I was a bit unsure about how to do it and what kind of like what kind of to do with promotion and stuff like that. I just thought, oh, great! Well, if I release it now, I don't even have to do any promotion because I can't. <laughs> That's so. the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're all in kind of odd situations, you know, there's, and I touched on this in the last episode. And like you, you said earlier, like, obviously, this is a horrible situation. Do not mean to make light of it at all. Like, let's get, let's get through it in whatever way that is. Yeah. But while we're in it, I, I'm finding like, there, there are things I can do to kind of make it more palatable is, do you know what I mean? Like, definitely, just to try and make myself feel better and see some kind of silver lining if that's the right way of putting it like i'd I'd rather thousands of people weren't dying obviously i'd trade that in a second but absolutely it's just it's a weird situation it is weird and i think people being able to make the best of it by and sort of still being able to express themselves creatively and giving themselves and other people as well obviously some kind of 
like joy <laughs> and something yeah, that can sure, yeah. feed their soul, you know, whilst all this stuff's going on. I mean, it's like super, super important. I mean, yeah. if this would have been happening in the, I don't know, like even like sort of early 90s or whatever, like people wouldn't have access to the kind of music making tools that they've got now. That's true. I was thinking about this, though. Like, this, the current situation is so very modern. Like, yeah. So saying about maybe the early 90s, you know, the internet was was around at that point, but that we're so, so connected. There's so much information, some of it right, yeah. a, lo- a lot of it not, that this, this is all happening in such a modern way. And so we're, I guess, like in your situation, in mine, lots of other people out there, lots of different situations, there's modern ways of, of dealing with it as well. And like now we are connected, we can send music to each other and record podcasts, you know, and yeah. all this sort of stuff. And and we can make music at home as well. That's yeah, the, I mean that was yeah. that was kind of more my point really. The fact that I mean sure. the sort of introduction of, you know, <laughs> every every Mac laptop you buy has got GarageBand on it. Yeah, like yeah. I mean that's I mean I know you know it's not you know it's not massively complex or anything, but it's it's more than enough to make a pretty decent sounding record on. Oh, completely. Like, I remember it, touring. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 crack on. I was going to say I toured with Animal Collective uh, many years ago. Yeah. Um, and we, we played in Paris, I think, and I was, we were chatting to them. And, you know, Panda Bear, one of the members of Animal yeah. Collective, he just did his record person pitch on, like, a, a version of Cubase that came with his sound card, you know? Like you were saying yeah. about having um, uh, the Ableton Light, Ableton, you know, yeah. just extremely limited, but... If you can record a sound and then play it back, you've made some music, haven't you? Exactly. And really, you know, a lot of the time having the limitations, I mean, limitations always make you think more creatively. So yeah. to have, you know, to have something like that where, you know, if you're new to it or whatever, to go, right, I've got eight tracks. I, how do I make the best out of this? Yeah. And you, you, you know, you'll, you'll make something ace. And then, yeah, like like you said, you can <laughs> you can upload it and you can share it and you can get it out into the world and you don't have to leave your house, which at the moment is a (laughs) good thing. It's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, look on that note, we've kind of come full circle a bit really. So, so I guess that's a good point to say thanks very much. So um, again, uh, I'll be saying this in all the episodes now there, there is a Spotify playlist just if you search for the symbol podcast on Spotify for a start, you'll get the podcast which you might be listening to already, so you don't need to do that. But you'll find a playlist of all the songs and bands that we discuss. So everything we've talked about, I'll try and chuck up a, a track from each on that. Um, and I'll put a link to Stephen's Bandcamp in the show notes. So go and check that out. Anything else you want to plug or say before we say goodbye? No, just, uh, yeah, right. I hope everyone is well and staying safe. Quite right. Yeah, well, same to you. Stay safe, stay well, enjoy being with your family, and I hope you get enough work. And yeah, we'll talk again soon. Nice one, Dave. You too.